So today's scripture reading uh, will be taken from Luke 8, verse 1 to 21, and I'll be reading for us. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chutza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares of riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you, but he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Well, good morning, GBC. It's so good to welcome you to our second Sunday of May in 2020, the year of the COVID crisis and circuit-breaking measures here in Singapore. We want to welcome you as we gather around God's word. But before we get into the text, I just want to say to you how grateful I am for the way God has used you in these past few weeks to just really strengthen my heart. Just the way you have been intentional about being the church, even while we can't gather as a church, the way you're making phone calls, WhatsApping one another, sending cards, food, fruit, flowers. You know, sometimes people say that uh, crisis builds character in us. I actually feel like crises exposes our character. 
And I just want to say to you how much I enjoy what I'm seeing in you these past several weeks. Thank you for the way you continue to love and minister to one another. Now, let me say, I feel like I should prepare you for the fact that I think this text, as we re-enter our theme on radical dependence, I, I think it's going to be a tough one for some of us. And I think it is because we have this tendency to pick up filters in our lives through which we view our world and interpret our world. Um, in other words, I present for myself a view of myself, which is a filter that makes it unnecessary for me to change myself. I just change the filter the way people look at me. So it's become very popular lately for folks to go on whatever their favorite social media site is and post a glorious photo. My walk this morning. And in the process of going on their walk, they take this incredible photo and, and then they make the comment, no filter, which means that's right. My life is just this awesome. I know it's dark and rainy in Vancouver, but the sun is rising here in Singapore and it's shining on me. My life is just that awesome. Filters change perspective, but they do not change reality. So I recall most recently a young Nigerian girl thought she would post a lovely photo of herself. She was very upfront after my makeup was on and with a Snapchat photo filter. She's created this perception of herself, which is all model quite fair and certainly beautiful, but then she accidentally posted the real thing without filters. And, and it's so shocking, she even looks shocked. So we use filters so that our friends and ourselves will look at us in a favorable light. And we can easily see in the Gospels that every audience Jesus encountered did exactly the same thing in response to his ministry. These filters distort truth. They came to him with these self-applied filters that often kept them from seeing him as he truly was and hearing truth as it came out of the very mouth of the one who is truth. Do you remember last week's message that Pastor Eugene preached for us? Simon and his smug Pharisee friends were so outraged by Jesus' forgiveness, their natural question was, who is this who even forgives sins? It, it didn't align with their filter. Because as they looked at him through their self-applied filter, Simon and his pompous friends received Jesus' words differently. Because their word, their, excuse me, filter informed them that this man was just a penniless rabbi. 
And as such, he was simply the beneficiary of their generous charity. And there was nothing that Simon or any of his friends needed of Jesus. Their filters told them so. Actually, this question is kind of similar to the question the disciples asked of Jesus. These disciples had seen him feed 5,000 men. They'd seen him, you know, walk on water, heal the sick. And then they get in a storm. Jesus speaks to creation. And the disciples ask a similar question. What sort of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. In other words, their filter informed them that he was a good teacher. He, could, he was a bit of a magician. He could, he was a, he, he could feed 5,000 people. He could heal the sick. But no prophet, their filter informed them, could boss around creation, could order the wind to stop and the waves to lie down. We, all of us, come to God's word this morning with self-applied filters. Which is why every time we approach his word, we need to turn to him afresh and ask him, oh God, remove the blinds in my eyes so that I can see you as you truly are. Open my ears so that I can hear from you. I'm going to ask you to pray with me just right where you are. Let's pray together. Father God, we worship you this morning because you are worthy of it. Because there is no one in our world like you. You are sovereign, king of all creation. You are knocked off your throne by no pandemic, no king or potentate. You are God eternal. God, help us today to see your word clearly, to receive it well, to know that it comes straight from the heart of the king of creation. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's dive into this text in verse 1 and talk for a few minutes about support for the sower. Soon afterward, Verse 1 says, soon after what? Soon after dining with many debtors, wearing filters, but forgiving only one. Soon after being in Simon's home, having uh, opportunity to see these Pharisees and how smug they were in their lifestyle. Soon after proclaiming forgiveness. After that, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12, Luke specifically says, were with him. Now you probably heard Caleb announce that we are having a ministry internship here at Grace. Well, what Luke is doing is he's giving us a snapshot of what Jesus' ministry internship looked like. He had already set the 12 apart for the ministry of sending, and now we see the training in action. And the action that they were learning, an important action, the only action they needed to know in terms of what will we do when we are sent is the action of proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And the content is just that. God's rule 
over a human soul. This was repeated everywhere that Jesus went. And the disciples were learning by observation and repetitively observing the same message everywhere Jesus went. But there were others who were connected to this ministry internship. In verses 2 and 3, it says, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So there was Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Johanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and there was Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their needs, or excuse me, out of their means. Now, I really love this 15th century painting by Hans Memling, a Dutch artist, because it shows the intensity, the passion on the faces of these women who are part of Jesus' ministry. Uh, we know that there was Mary who had a whole crowd of demons in her that Jesus cast out. She came from the town of Magdala, which is why she was called Mary Magdalene just as Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Nazarene. We don't know where that city is today, or that town. It's, it's just crumbled away, perhaps as a result of Roman occupation. But there was also Joanna, married to a nobleman in Herod's court. We know that Joanna remained faithful even while the disciples did not. She was at the cross, she visited the tomb, she followed Jesus to his crucifixion and beyond his resurrection. There was also Susanna, who interestingly is never mentioned again in scripture, and this is the only time she has mentioned. But also Luke specifically says, there were many other women in that group, many others. This is a fascinating text to me because it mattered to Luke to insert this in his story. He clearly wants his audiences to notice that in a culture in which women stayed at home, one of the ways that Jesus' ministry was radical was it was a women's movement. Today, the 10th of May, is a day in which we honor our mothers and every mother. But Luke wants us to notice that every day Jesus honored women. And additionally, Luke is specifically stitching this story together with the story that Eugene taught us last week. He's intentionally linking the woman of the city who was forgiven much with these women who had also been delivered of much. Each had been forgiven much, and so each loved him deeply and supported his ministry out of their means. Now, friends, this first century model of giving ought to continue to be our model of giving in the 21st century. 
These women were not giving to sow seeds of faith into Jesus' ministry. They, they weren't trying to sow seeds of expectation for future financial blessing. It wasn't about them demonstrating their faith or trust in Jesus to manage their resources. It was simply a group of women demonstrating their deep affection for Jesus. And so even today, in difficult financial times, we don't give because we expect him to return it a thousandfold to us. We give simply to express our deep affection. We pay a debt of gratitude. But second, beginning in verse 4, let's talk about the parable. Verse 4 begins with these words. And when a great crowd was gathering, the people from town after town came after him. These were the crowds that had encountered Jesus' teaching. They were following him for the benefits. They had been healed by him. They had been fed by him. And to these people, Jesus said in a parable. Now, this is where we have our Christian filter that needs to come off. Because often we're reading this and we believe that Jesus is here referencing Christian people. No, he's addressing the crowd to these who are following him for food, for healing, so that they could have sight, so they can enjoy their best world now. To these, he speaks a parable. Now, a parable is what we might call in English an analogy. The word literally means to set one thing next to another in order to compare. So in other words, in Luke chapter seven, verse 31, when Jesus said, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? He's preparing to share a parable. And that's why the next thing he said was, they are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another. We played the flute for you. You didn't dance. And now to a similar crowd, Jesus says in verses 5 through 8, a sower. That's why we call it the parable of the sower. Went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some of it fell upon the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell onto good soil, and grew, and yielded a hundredfold. Now the filter of my culture has already made this parable about me. The filter of productive meritocracy has taught me how important it is to choose the right soil. Because as a minister of the gospel, my performance evaluation is based upon the response of the soil. So growing up and going to Bible school and, and studying in seminary and, and getting two degrees there, I've always taught, here's how you grow a church. Get in a growing city. Find a background where people are woke, waking up every day in despair, asking spiritual questions. Every crisis is opportunity. Yes, it is. 
if they come from a Christian background, then perhaps they'll get up on a Sunday morning, like maybe one or two of you, and have searched the internet looking for a church because you're afraid, you're now looking for a word from God. Our best efforts, we give them, and then people fall away. And so this text troubles me. Why are people losing their salvation? They're too busy. Their salvation gets trampled underfoot because the soil of their hearts is hard and the seed of their salvation can't penetrate because their hearts and minds are so distracted by all the desires that the seed is choked out. For 22 years, I served the gospel with a constant eye on the soil. And this parable, we called it in our mission organization, the parable of four fields became the primary text for the training we give every new missionary couples who came to Asia. And the most insidious thing about my filters is it allowed me the smug comfort of assuming this parable doesn't apply to me because look how fruitful my ministry has been. And yet in that time, I saw hundreds of missionary couples go home in despair, believing that they had been misled about their call to missions because they sowed, but their people group was hard soil, thorn soil, rocky soil. They grieved that they were sent to the wrong soil. But then there's this. And as he said these things, he called out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if this were a song as it appears to be in the Greek sentence structure, it indicates that this is the refrain. This is the chorus. And Jesus is peppering his parable with one constant refrain. Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some fell on the rock as it grew up and it withered away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what? Verse 1, the good news of the kingdom of God. Hear this good news. The kingdom of God is coming and is now here. So this is the secret of sowing. And I've divided up these texts a little bit, but I think you'll see why in just a moment. In verses 9 through 10. His disciples were curious. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. This is the only situation in all of Jesus' teaching that this particular word is used. The Greek word is mysteria, plural of the word mysterion. Obviously, you know, it means 
mystery, or as it's translated for us here in the ESV, secrets. There's something important about this word. Why didn't Jesus say it's been given to you the knowledge or the learning? He specifically uses this word mysteria, the mysteries, because a mystery is something that cannot be learned. A secret is not something that can be discovered. I know a secret if someone has shared it with me. I know a mystery if someone has revealed it to me. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, by God's sovereign mercy, this secret has been given to you to know. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. So the question then is, like, how do I know? How, how, how do I know that it's been given to me? What, what test of authenticity is there that would inform me that it's been given to me? Verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, I know that in our context, our filters have informed us that this term, God's word, refers to the Bible. And indeed, the Bible is God's word. But we have to take off that filter as we read a word written 2,000 years ago to understand that in that context, when this term, the word of God, was used, it was used in a context in which the church did not exist. And when used in that context, the context in which there was no church, the word of God always meant the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's why in Acts 6, you'd have to go back two years now to remember this chapter, when it says the word of God continued to increase. It didn't mean the Bible was getting bigger as they added books. It meant the kingdom of God, the rule of God began to increase. And so the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So let's take a moment and break down verses 12 through 15. And we will see how the word of God increases. First, the seed is scattered along the path. The seed is heard. The gospel is heard and it's rejected. It's scattered on the rock. The word is heard. They receive the word, they believe the word, and then they leave. Why? What were they receiving? What were these crowds receiving? They were receiving good news. This prophet creates bread out of nothing. This prophet heals. This prophet restores sight. He strengthens broken limbs. He cleanses of infectious diseases. The seed is scattered on the thorns. The word of God, the gospel is heard. They go on their way. Why do they go on their way? Because as they go on their way, they're choked with cares and riches and the pleasures of life. And so the fruit of that word never fruits out. It never matures. They went on their way with spiritual bellies 
full of the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And it's possible that you know some people like that. The fruit of the gospel, though, love, joy, peace, patience, remained unfruited. And then finally, it was scattered on good soil. The gospel is heard. Those who hear it are empowered to hold it fast. It sinks deep in the soil of their souls and bears fruit. And the critical point is now revealed in verse 18. Take care then how you scatter. Good, you're paying attention right then. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. That's why Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Take care then how you hear. For the one who has will be given more. The secret of the sower is that it's not about the sower. The secret of soul sowing is it's not about the seed. It's not even about the field. The secret of the sower is actually, it's about the hearing. The great sovereign mercy of God who opens blind eyes, who opens deaf ears and allows sinners to hear the good news of the gospel the kingdom of God. And as that seed takes root in us, he begins to rule. He cultivates our soul for fruit. In John chapter eight, Jesus is speaking to a similar crowd, a crowd who followed him for the things he did for them. And about this specific crowd, John specifically says they were Jews who had believed in him. Believe what? Believed he was a great prophet? Believed he could feed them? Believed he could cleanse and heal them? To this great mix of people all coming to him for something, Jesus said this in verse 47 of John chapter 8, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you don't hear them is because you are not of God. Do you understand, friends? This is sovereign grace given. Just like repentance, so is hearing. Just as is hearing, so is obedience. Just as is obedience, so is our salvation. God is the one who pursues us in his mercy. He gives us the ability to receive his word, to respond to it. All of that is grace given. So let me say a word about evangelism. Years ago, I was asked to go to the Canadian National Convention to 
teach about evangelism at their national evangelism meeting. And after the first night, I must have said something about evangelism because the executive director came up to me immediately after the first session and said, hey, Ian, we're not calling it evangelism anymore because if we called it evangelism, people wouldn't come. So it was called like something like Empower 98 or something crazy like that. The secret of evangelism, of soul sowing, is it's not really about the sowing. It's not about how skillful is the sower, how crazy aware he is of how God is at work in certain fields and not in others. It's not about how excellent is the speech, the secret, the mystery, is not in a prepared speaker, but in a prepared hearer. Let's hear it again from John in John chapter 8, verse 37b. He's now speaking to the Pharisees who are boasting about their heritage, that they can trace back all the way back to the father of the Jewish people. John records Jesus saying, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Why? Because my words have found no place in you. And this is also why Luke included that rather awkward memory, that troublesome, that difficult passage that sometimes we have to extract from a context. Say, this is difficult. This is one of the hard words of Jesus. Because we see in this text his mother and brothers coming to find him, but they can't reach him because the crowd is so intense. And so they send a messenger and they came to Jesus and said, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. And Jesus answers them with this soul-sowing word of reminder. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word and do it. Hear it again for emphasis. The clearest evidence that a man or a woman has been transformed by the rule of God. The clearest evidence that Ian has a deeply planted seed of gospel in his soul. The evidence that I have been adopted into God's family is not that I know the language of religion. It's not that I've studied. It's not that I've practiced how to present in front of a crowd or recently in front of a computer screen. The evidence is that I've heard and I've responded to the gospel and I'm living a gospel lifestyle each day. And so finally, what then is the work of an evangelist? What, what then is the work of every gospel seed sower? In verses 16 and 17, it says this, no one, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known. Now we're having some trouble with our slides. It's not advancing. I just read the text. Hopefully you have your Bible apps open. 
So here's what Jesus is saying. The day is coming when all mysteries will be revealed. And on that day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. In that day, the seed sowing is done. But until that day, there is no such thing as a secret sower. There's no such thing as a secret church because the sower has only one goal. Cast out the seed on the pathway, on the rocks, on the thorns, good soil and bad. That's not my responsibility. God is at work in his world. And if we would be like Jesus, we too will be at our father's business, throwing out soil, or excuse me, seed, in every manner of soil, confident that by the sovereign grace of God, some of it will find good soil, soil prepared by the gardener to hold seed fast. Friends, the gospel will become light. It will become exposed. The only question is, will it come to light as a product of our obedience or the obedience of someone else? If Christ was to come today, would he find us faithful? Or would he find us full of excuses? God, how? Circuit breaker measures. I can't meet my neighbors. I, 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 I can't share the gospel. We can cast seed many ways, even in these days, with a card, a letter. Tell a friend you've been meaning to tell them. Don't wait to their funeral. Share good news in a message, a WhatsApp, iMessage, Messenger. Post it on your Facebook. You've received the seed of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, and your life will never be the same. My filters have been making it way too hard all my ministry because I never realized how big is the difference between Ian the sower and Jesus the sower. I never realized that he only asked me to do everything humanly possible. I am fully and only man. All I can do is what is required of a man like me. But Jesus is fully man and fully God. And so he does what is required of man and also what can only be done by God himself. I want to end with a reminder of this verse, verse one. Jesus went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. We can proclaim about the rule of God. Jesus, though, brings the rule of God. We work in partnership 
with the Most High God. And all he asks of us is open our mouths, throw out some seed. Don't test the soil. It's a test of how deeply is the seed of his kingdom in my heart. That I would simply do what has been asked of me. Do you remember how we began our service this morning? Caleb asked us to think of someone who was faithful in our lives. He asked us to remember the one who was faithful with the seed of the gospel, who shared with us good news of the kingdom of God. We spent a moment thanking the Lord that he had seasoned his world with faithfulness that was found in that person. I want to ask us some additional reflection and response questions. First of all, 10 years from now, or maybe 50, will there be anyone in this world who will be thanking God for your faithfulness? Will there be anyone who will have heard the gospel because you were throwing out seed? Indiscriminately, just tossing it out there, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. But secondly, I wonder if, you know, you're already a believer. How, how have you heard his word today? And I'm very confident that if we have heard God's word, then it requires some response on our part. So how have you heard his word this morning? How will you intend to respond to it? If you have a notepad or if you're making notes on your iPad or your device, what is something you know God has prompted in you that he has gifted sovereign grace to you so that you can somehow do what? And so I want to invite you to take a few moments to just recalibrate your heart. Note some ways that God has used his word this morning to bring you just a little bit closer to his pleasure. Maybe it's entirely possible that you just found us online this morning because God has used these days of global pandemic to cause you to seek a word from him. Perhaps you're, you're not yet a believer. You've not yet been transformed in your thinking, your mindset. Your, your eyes are fully loaded with filters. I want to challenge you to try something. Could you believe that God has noticed you and you haven't stumbled upon this particular YouTube video by accident? Can you believe that God has prepared you for this moment? That he has seen you? And since he has, friend, what a wonderful time to cry out, oh God, have mercy. Give me ears to hear 
that I might hear. Give me a heart to respond and then put me on a lampstand. Equip me with an obedient heart. Place in me the heart of a sower to share this good news. Will you pray with me? Father God, how grateful we are for the witness of Luke. How grateful we are that you inspired him to remember these stories, link them together to speak truth for us as we need it and as you intend. Father, some of us have been anxious all these years because we thought, oh, well, this, this parable is telling us that people can lose their salvation. Remind us, God, give us the assurance that if you are the author and finisher of our faith, you will leave no good work undone. For those even now who feel that anxiety, will you not remind them that their salvation is secure not because of their religious performance, but because of Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross. And now, Father, help us to hear your word. Help us to turn daily afresh to you. For that one who is crying out, Oh God, have mercy on me. I pray that they would find you as they now seek you. And know you to be a God of gracious mercy. Father, we love you. Thank you for meeting us today. We pray this in the powerful, saving name of Jesus. Amen.